Welcome to the Milk and Motherhood podcast, where we're having an ongoing conversation about breastfeeding, postpartum, parenthood, the challenges these can present, and the hope we have for overcoming them. I'm your host, Therese Dansby. I'm a registered nurse, international board-certified lactation consultant, and homeschooling mom of three. I believe that navigating the rough waters of early motherhood with wisdom, grace, and humility can grow each of us into the mothers we long to be. All right, welcome back to Milk and Motherhood. Today I am interviewing Amanda Montalvo. You might know her as Hormone Healing RD on Instagram. She also has a podcast called Are You Menstrual and an amazing course called Master Your Minerals. And so today we are here talking about minerals and milk, breast milk specifically. So welcome, Amanda. I'm so excited to be here. And I just love the name of your podcast, Milk and Motherhood. I think that's so clever. Thank you so much. I have been dreaming of having a podcast for about five years now, so it's been really fun. Do you want to introduce us really quick to yourself and your family? Yeah, so I'm a women's health dietitian. I've been doing this work for about 10 years, and I'm married to my husband, Ian. We've been together for over 13 years now. He's in the military, and we live in North Carolina. We recently moved here like a year ago, Uh, and we have our daughter, Eliana, who recently turned seven months like a week ago Mm. which is crazy Mm -hmm. um and she is just the cutest cutest chunkiest baby ever and I'm obsessed with her (laughs) her eyelashes I mean it's like Cindy Lou Who that's crazy so can you share with us the capacity in which you work with women more specifically and just a little bit of how you got there yeah so I really started working with women like one-on-one many, many years ago. And I was always kind of focused on hormone health. Once I started my clinical work, when I was in college, I was very focused on sports nutrition because I thought that that was what I was going to do. I did CrossFit. I was a competitive athlete and I was like, this is going to be it for me. And then I came off the pill, had my whole hormone journey, which I feel like, you know, we're forever on as women, you know, cause it's like, <laughs> yes. you're in a good place. And then you're like, okay, I get pregnant and I'm postpartum and you have to figure everything out again. Um, mm-hmm. but and then you wean and you have to figure yeah. everything out again. <laughs> oh, I know. So, um, yeah, that's kind of like what caused me to shift into women's health. Cause there just wasn't a lot of information. This was like 13 years ago. Wow. That sounds like so long ago. I want to say that a lot. Um, yes, yeah, so this is like 13 years ago when all these like transitions in my life started to happen. And I was started like studying intently with women's health and like what birth control does to our bodies. I had no idea. And I was on the pill for many, many years. Um, and I, I mean, I, I felt dumb, but I was like, realistically, like I, my doctor should have explained this to me. Um, but they you would think you would think <laughs> yeah. and it's called informed consent, but we don't always get it. But that really caused me to shift into specifically on women's health. Even the athletes that I was like friends with and worked out with, trained with, they all had period problems. We all had period <laughs> issues or they didn't have a period. So I was like, this is something that I will use forever. Uh, and then I just got very passionate about it. The more that I dug into that world and, um, yeah, I, I was working one-on-one for a long time. I then made my master minerals course. Uh, I discovered hair testing when I was in this mix of like coming off hormonal birth control and getting a copper IUD that led to, lots of thyroid issues, estrogen dominance. I was just in this place where I'm like, I'm doing everything correctly, or at least I thought I was like, why am I still struggling with estrogen dominance so much? Uh, and hair testing was really what helped me. 
I was obsessed with hormone testing. And then I was like, what am I doing? Like, this is just telling me what I already know. It's not telling me why. And so I discovered hair mineral testing. One of my old mentors was like, you should consider it. It wasn't even that big a part of his practice either. So it's just kind of like funny how it all happened. And then I found hair testing so helpful. I used to do a ton of results reviews with people and, but it was like, it burned me out fast because uh, they're really popular because not ever most people can't afford to work one-on-one with a nutritionist that doesn't accept insurance mm-hmm. so I finally was like I'm gonna make this course um so that's really been like the big thing I focused on in the last couple of years I do have two nutritionists that work with me and they work one-on-one and also do other types of results reviews. So we kind of do a mix of like one-on-one results reviews and have our course. And then of course I have my podcast, tons of free content on Instagram and just try to make everything as accessible as possible. Um, I can't tell you how many people I've referred to your episodes on the pill because some people just and coming off the pill. I mean, it's, it's a very revolutionary new idea to a lot of people. So uh, yeah, you have a ton of resources out there. I'll be sure to link to them. So I actually met you working with you, um, right, right before I got pregnant, which was a long time ago. Now it feels like it does. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm really excited to talk with you again. So normally I ask people like what early motherhood and breastfeeding have looked like for you and you're still kind of in the thick of it, but what have the last seven months been like? So I would say like now we're in like the cruise control easy part. Um, but that like the early days were rough, which I, I mean, most moms at breastfeed that I've spoken with, they've had similar experiences. It's just, you're just like, what am I doing? Um, you and baby are both learning. So we had like some tongue and lip tie stuff with Eliana and she was losing weight in the beginning. So eating and feeding her in general was like incredibly stressful from the beginning, which makes me sad now. Cause I enjoy it so much now. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were able to get through all of that. We did lots of different types of therapies and stuff with her. We didn't opt for the revision. Cause I just felt like it wasn't the best fit for us. Uh, I, and, and people ask me why, and I'm like, I don't know. I can't explain it. It was just yeah. my intuition mm-hmm. and I'm so happy I followed it. Cause now, you know, she's been evaluated multiple times since. And the doctor's always like, yeah, she, they're not tight anymore. They've completely yeah. loosened. So yeah, she yeah, had so, posterior ties, right? Yeah. yeah so and a lot of tension. Yeah. So that yeah. all was like, you know, it, that was like very stressful. But once we got past that, like eight to 10 week timeline, I feel like it started to get a lot easier because everything started to loosen up. She wasn't eating like every 45 minutes, you know, like it was just a lot more enjoyable. Um, But now it's like, I feel like it's just like breathing. It's like super easy. Mm-hmm. I don't even think about it. Um, And it's like my chill time during the day. I'm like, okay, we're just going to hang out and do this. Yeah, it makes you sit down. It makes you slow down. Makes you eat a snack and take yeah. a drink of water. And you worked hard for that. And I know in the beginning, I remember like twelve weeks felt so far away when my first baby was brand new. And then now here you are. You're like, oh yeah, the first ten weeks were hard, but I know we made it. So I love hearing that. Well, so we'll just dive in. We have a lot to talk yeah. about. So you have specialized in learning about minerals in particular, could you just really quickly define mineral for people who are listening who aren't familiar with your work? 
Yeah. So minerals are similar to vitamins. They're micronutrients. So they're nutrients we need in small amounts. And I think sometimes that makes people think that they're not that important, but they are. And one of the reasons why it's so helpful to focus on them, especially like when people always ask me like, where do I start? I'm like, I personally recommend focusing on minerals first. It helps lay a solid foundation. If we think of how we use minerals in the body, how they work and impact the different systems. It's helping them carry out all the different processes correctly. They're just like little, um, like kickstarters, like they help set off and give energy to different reactions in the body. And without them, that won't happen. So it can really slow down our metabolism when we don't have adequate levels of minerals. Um, or if we have imbalances, I think this is where minerals get confusing. Like we think of vitamins and minerals and we think of, okay, I either have a deficiency or I don't, Mm -hmm. but we also can have excess levels of certain minerals and then that can throw things off in the body. Uh, so I think just kind of understanding like what your mineral status is, is really helpful, but even just being a little bit more mindful of like, am I choosing nutrient dense foods that are rich in minerals and not just focusing on things like calories and macronutrients? Those are definitely like number one to focus on, Mm -hmm. but we cannot forget about the importance that minerals have in our bodies. Yeah, it was a light bulb moment for me too, because you're mentioning I used to test hormones and then I started testing minerals because you need the minerals for the hormones to even be produced in appropriate amounts and at appropriate times. And and that was a light bulb. So, and even just yeah, like this. your whole metabolism. I, I feel like people just mm-hmm. don't, they don't realize like people are like, oh, if I had, what if I have a digestive health concern? Like maybe they have mm-hmm. gut issues. I'm like, you still, yes, we need to like digest and absorb minerals well, but it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to focus on my hormones or my gut health or mold or whatever, instead of minerals, like I think that they can coincide and be right alongside anything like you're already doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It definitely filled in some puzzle pieces for me. So, and like you said, you have specialized in working with women in particular, you post a lot about the cycle, different parts of the cycle, but also now you're starting to post more about different phases of the childbearing years. And so I'm curious what shift you've seen. I mean, you've worked with so many women over the yeah. years. Uh, what do you see as women go from pregnancy to postpartum in terms of their mineral shifting, like between the third and fourth trimester? Yeah. And even, even like, if I just think of like, if we kind of back up a little bit from like pre-pregnancy, like to actual pregnancy, I see the biggest mm-hmm. shifts. Yeah, So many women, like a slow metabolic type is, uh, on your, if we get a hair mineral test done, you're always going to get assigned a metabolic type. And that's just based on different ratios that are on the test. And, uh, especially around your calcium phosphorus ratio, because that's really looking at like your nervous system. And then it also pays attention to like your thyroid ratio and your adrenal ratio and a slow metabolic type, super common, like 80% of people are slow metabolic types. So a lot of times I'll see someone that is a slow metabolic type move to a fast metabolic type, which makes sense in pregnancy because everything is speeding up. Your thyroid's working so much harder. Your metabolism is using up way more energy. And so therefore you're using up more minerals during that time. And so typically that calcium goes down a little bit, that makes you a fast metabolic type. And then it just shows that it's like, maybe you're a little bit more stressed, which is normal. Like pregnancy is a stressor. Your body's doing a lot of really hard work growing a human. Um, but that's like a very common shift that I see. And then throughout pregnancy, I'll often see women move from like a fast one, which is like a pretty balanced fast type. It's definitely a good, good place to be to a fast four. And that 
is a much more depleted, like really revved state where your body's pushing its limits. And it's not, I don't look at this as like a negative thing. I think it's easy to look at any lab test out, even like outside of hair mineral testing and to think like, oh, this is, this is not a good result. It's more just information. Like I, I think I moved to a fast four, then back to a fast one at the, like from like second to third trimester, um, which I thought was very interesting. Cause I thought I was going to hang out at a fast four going into mm-hmm. that third trimester, but it just kind of shows like, when is all that growth happening with the baby? It really does like coincide, which is, it's just fascinating to me. Um, but it's just information. It's just telling you, okay, so I have sped up. I am a little bit more stressed and that can lead you to maybe calm down a little bit. Maybe you assess the type of workouts that you're doing. Maybe you're like, okay, I'm really going to prioritize sleep now, even though I say it all the time and I don't, um, all that kind of stuff. But those are like the big shifts in pregnancy. Um, oftentimes I will see postpartum, I'll see shifts in like copper and iron. Sometimes I see it if someone tests in the third trimester. Uh, I just most often see people doing a test before halfway through and then after that's typically what I think is the most helpful. Mm -hmm. So I'll often see that shift where copper goes up on a hair test, which doesn't necessarily mean that you have too much. It can, but a lot of times copper and iron go up because they're being lost. We're giving those minerals to the Mm -hmm. baby during that third trimester. And if you have other imbalances, like maybe you don't have enough vitamin A retinol in your diet or stored in your body, then that can definitely impact copper status, which impacts iron. Um, but yeah, there's, there's so many shifts. And the big thing with copper during this time is that it can impact that like mental, emotional health and lead into that postpartum depression. But I think regardless, it's like, we have to support it. We don't want to fear copper. It's just more of like, these are very natural shifts that are happening. Um, and then postpartum, I think a lot of times just lower. Like if you look at that, like second hair test to the third, you'll just see like lower levels in general. Mm-hmm. And that I would say that's totally normal because you've used up a lot of your mineral stores. I think you lose like 10% of your minerals during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I got an HTMA and we'll talk more about what that means in a yeah. little bit, but, um, at the very beginning of pregnancy or right, it was right before I got pregnant. And then I met with you and I was like five weeks pregnant. And then I didn't get another one until I was like four months postpartum. And then I got another one at nine months postpartum. And yeah, that four month postpartum, like just everything was low across the yeah. board, except copper, which is interesting. And I had horrible, um, horrible postpartum OCD and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think you did post about that recently with maybe the high copper and estrogen together can kind of contribute to postpartum mental health a little bit. Yeah. They talk about X. There is the most of the research is around excess copper and how it oftentimes like it just gets out of balance because we're moving it. And if someone doesn't, maybe they already have too much copper to begin with going into pregnancy. And then third trimester estrogen goes up and estrogen and copper have an affinity for each other. So then copper is going to go up even higher. And then postpartum, I mean, you're not ovulating right away. Some people, I feel like you did, but (laughs) you're not always ovulating right away. And then 
that leads to more of like an estrogen dominant state. Uh, hormones are all low in general, but it, it's like your hormones don't just automatically rebalance after pregnancy. It's still like what you went into your pregnancy with. Mm-hmm. So I think those, that combination of the excess on bioavailable copper and then the excess estrogen, that is what the research is around that contributes to that postpartum depression. Yeah. And I, once I saw that post, I was like, oh, this makes one of many things that contributed to it. Right. It's definitely not the only thing, but it was interesting to see that. And it is interesting. I don't remember if we talked about this on your podcast, but when your cycle comes back postpartum, usually it is in ovulatory or insufficient ovulation if it comes back before six months, especially. So you do have a rise in estrogen and not a rise in progesterone. And so um, it can be a little bit of a rough ride until you really are ovulating or you start supplementing with progesterone, which is a little different than when we're talking about pre-pregnancy and just standard supplementation. But all right, I digress. So what are your highest mineral needs in the fourth trimester? I would say like the biggest ones that we want to focus on are definitely replenishing things like vitamin A. Oh, that's not a mineral, but it impacts many, many minerals, um, Mm -hmm. like copper and iron and really magnesium, sodium, and potassium, because those are the ones, if you think about like pregnancy is a stressor, a positive one, but then like same with birth and depending on how your birth went, that's like a whole other thing where, I mean, or how long it was, you know, what it, how mentally, emotionally stressful it was for you, physically stressful, all those things are going to start to deplete your magnesium, sodium, potassium levels. Cause that's what gets up used up during that stress response. It's a very normal thing. I think people hear that and they're like, Oh no, but it, it's a natural physiological response. Um, and then if you think typically women aren't getting as much sleep after as they're used to, and while you, you know, most of women are on like this hormonal high, uh, from birth, it's still it doesn't like negate all the stressors. You're still going to be using up the minerals. Um, So I would say those are like the big ones to focus on. And then if we're thinking of that possible imbalance with copper that can happen during that third, fourth trimester, really making sure you're getting enough vitamin A is really important in vitamin C because those can kind of help rebalance that. Yeah, that's helpful. And vitamin C, of course, is so good for tissue healing and and all of those things postpartum too. And I think, is this a good rule of thumb that you know you're low in sodium and potassium if you start magnesium supplements and it makes you feel wired instead of calmer? I think for most people that would be true. Mm -hmm. Um, It could also just mean that you have like a more extreme magnesium burn rate. Like you're using so much magnesium and you're more depleted. The demand is so high there that it's like turning on that stress response for you. Um, that's why I always say like magnesium is great, but always start with sodium potassium first, like the adrenal cocktails that I'm always talking about and, or just getting it from food in a mix. I mean, all of us get sodium for the most part, I'm guessing like who doesn't add like salt to their food, but Mm -hmm. trying to prioritize like potatoes, fruit, squash, even like coconut water. I feel like I lived on coconut water (laughs) during birth and after, Mm -hmm. um, and pretty much every day since then. But those are things that can really support those. And so then if you say you have a weird reaction to magnesium and you're like, Oh, this is like not doing what I want to do, then you could try that first and then slowly try 
magnesium again, but most people need at least like a couple months of that sodium potassium support. Yeah. That was a game changer for me. Cause I remember seeing, you know, different naturopaths or even the nurse practitioner. I saw everybody across the board is pretty understanding of the fact that we need magnesium at this point, but I would just yeah. try all these varieties and it would just feel horrible. And I was like, well, I can't even do the most basic thing, um, to calm me down, you know? Yeah. And then yeah, a few months of adrenal cocktails and suddenly magnesium didn't do that anymore. So understanding these things is just so helpful. We touched a little bit on postpartum mental health. Are there any other kind of key things about mineral levels affecting postpartum hormones and mental health? I mean, I just think it's really kind of recognizing like if you have a concern with that, like I wouldn't, I just have so many clients that have gone straight to medication, which I think there's nothing wrong with. It's just that sometimes if it's not, if that's not the root of the issue, if there's not like an SSRI, like a neurotransmitter imbalance, it can make people feel awful. And that's kind of, I've had like a mixed response with people with that, but the clients that do not do well with it, I will never forget them. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. just so it turns into this really, really challenging, uh, it makes a challenging season of life even harder. Um, And so that's something where I'm like, if you have any question, then that's when you could definitely do things like getting blood work done to look at your copper levels, ceruloplasmin, that's like the bioavailable version of copper. Um, Mm -hmm. And then getting a better sense of like, is this adequate? If you can look at vitamin A, it's helpful, but I don't think it's like absolutely necessary. Uh, hair testing, I think is the most helpful for copper because you can have normal levels on blood work and then see it like off the charts on a hair test. Um, Mm -hmm. but just kind of understanding that is huge and not being afraid to advocate for yourself or even just having a better handle on your mineral status. Like before you go to that postpartum season, mm-hmm. um, I think can be really helpful. That's like, I feel like so many women are like, what should I do for X, Y, and Z during pregnancy? And they focus so much on like things that don't matter, you know, and like what they need. And so I did the same thing. I was like, what do I need to have yeah. for Eliana El- after? But it's mm-hmm. like, just focus on your postpartum and like your health and what you're going to put into place to support yourself, because that's going to make that's going to affect everything that you do. So not being afraid of that. And then thyroid, I think thyroid Mm -hmm. is very under-recognized is like one of the main contributors to anxiety and depression, Mm -hmm. especially for women. So many women are misdiagnosed and they have a hypothyroidism or maybe it's like subclinical. So you get your blood work done. Your doctor's like, well, it's like not great, but it's not out of the range. So you're fine. Like there's nothing that we can do for you. That's when you, if you can like really try to look into that more, because those are like the two biggest contributors that I see. I mean, think about how hard your thyroid's working during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the big shifts in hormones that you're going to have postpartum, like it can be a lot in your body. So those are like the two big areas that I would focus on. Yeah. And that's a great point. Thyroid swings so much, even not from a mineral status, but just a allopathic medicine status. It's, it's fairly commonly known that you're initially, most people are some degree of hyperthyroid. Everything's in overdrive when the baby comes and then you can swing into hypothyroidism. So some people will be like, I lost all my baby weight by three months. And then I gained like 20 pounds, you know, and these are people that are having those really big, all of us are going to fluctuate to some degree, but, um, some people clearly have bigger swings. So yeah, thyroid hormones, in addition to progesterone and estrogen, that's a great point. So 
Moving into minerals, this is something that I get a lot of questions about because I have talked in our breastfeeding course and in other podcasts about vitamins and minerals in breast milk. And people just love learning about this because it's like, I just love knowing what I'm feeding my baby. And some vitamins and minerals will be steady in your breast milk no matter what. And some will fluctuate based on your intake. So the vitamins and minerals that can be deficient in a mom and then therefore low in her milk are vitamin C, D, B6, B12, and selenium. The nutrients that will usually remain stable in a mother's milk at her expense, right? So baby's getting everything. If you're not taking it in, you're the one who's losing out on these things. Uh, Vitamin A, vitamin K, folate, iron, calcium, and copper. So this is just textbook information on my end. I'm not actually looking at mom's milk, mom's um, tests. Is this something that you notice, particularly like the vitamin A, K, folate, iron, calcium, copper? Most of those are on an HTMA. Yeah. And if not, like there's certain markers that would give you insight into like, like B12, you know, that one is cobalt. There's a marker for that. But uh, so have you looked at the lactation lab any like reports or anything for people? I've done the lactation lab for myself. Me too. Yeah. I did it. I've had a lot. I actually learned about it from one of my clients like a while okay. ago. Um, so I've looked at a lot of those, which I find okay. fascinating because then yeah. you can kind of compare it to someone's tests. Mm-hmm. And I like that you can talk to the physicians there too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you did that, but yeah. Um, yeah. It's, and like, that was really helpful. Cause I'm like, I don't like, I wasn't super familiar with testing and like, kind of like how all that works and stuff with breast milk and how that's going to compare to mom's levels. But they're two like very, very different things, which is interesting. But I, it's like the vitamin A, I see low and I know that that one's not supposed to change. I see that low on so many breast milk reports, which I think is interesting. Not surprising. I mean, I think it's like 80% of women go into pregnancy with uh, suboptimal levels of vitamin Mm -hmm. A. Um, so that one wasn't shocking. Uh, also I often see low calcium and iron on those. And Mm. so it's just like one of those things where you're like, are they consistent in people's milk or is like, you know what I mean? Like it just, it made me me question it. I think iron's like naturally supposed to be lower in breast milk, Mm -hmm. same with vitamin D, but, um, yeah, it's, I think when I compare it to like people's hair tests, I often see like selenium is low on a lot of people. Um, especially if they have like a lot of exposure to mercury, because we use selenium in order to get rid of mercury and a lot of other heavy metals. It's a really powerful antioxidant in general. So, Selenium, I often see low, um, unless someone, I have a lot of women that I worked with that have utilized iodine, um, and they've done iodine protocols with me and selenium is a big part of that. Cause you need the cofactors for iodine to use it properly. So those people always have great selenium levels, okay. but <laughs> if someone's not utilizing that, then I would say like selenium is super common. I often see low cobalt, which is a sign of low B12. Um, and then when I think about some of the other, like copper is usually just out of balance. Um, mm-hmm. so I wouldn't necessarily say that's one that is like low, but I, it could be either high or normal, or there could be other markers making it look like it's like a hidden copper excess. And then even like vitamin C, vitamin D, like there aren't really any markers specifically for that, but mm-hmm. like magnesium, usually it's either really high or really low. So like super high magnesium on a hair test would tell us that you're burning through a lot. You're using it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, those are probably the biggest ones, but I see so many low irons, low calcium, low vitamin A. Um, they don't test for everything on the lactation lab test, mm-hmm. but it's a good amount. Uh, and when I was asking one of their physicians about it, like, like for like low B12, for example, or low vitamin C, I'm like, would supplementing with these necessarily raise it in the mom's milk? And they were like, you'd, it would, it would have to be on like a metabolic cellular level that you were improving like that Krebs cycle metabolism in the cell Mm -hmm. in order to improve those levels in breast milk. So I think that's like, I mean, maybe that takes the pressure off some people to be like, I'm going to supplement everything so I don't have low levels. Mm. Um, It's a metabolic thing. So if you can optimize your metabolism and and that helps all the different like mitochondria and fuel your cells, then that's, what's going to help optimize your breast milk. We don't necessarily have to be like nitty gritty with every single nutrient. And for those who don't know, Lactation Lab is a company where you can, you test your milk, you just pump like a few times throughout the day because milk varies throughout the day and you pool it and you send in like a one ounce sample and um, they test your milk, you know, there's different payment levels, but um you know, I don't know why I never put mine side by side, but I did get an HGMA and my lactation lab, <laughs> I know, both at nine months. But the interesting thing is my lactation lab results were very reassuring to me. Like my vitamin A levels were great. Yeah. Um, and whereas my HTMA, everything was still like low. Yeah. But it made me feel a little bit better that especially because we've been dealing with infant food allergies and I've had to cut out some food groups and, you know, like really nutrient dense food groups. And it felt really good to see that on my milk, you know, I can't afford to test it every month, but I know, you know, and how much is it going to change? You know, like how long does it take to see that change? I'd be so curious. I feel like there's not enough research around that. I know. I I truly wish that I could afford to just do it every month and just have like my own sample size of one. And I don't necessarily even recommend women do it. It's pretty yeah. low on the list of like testing you might want to consider. But if you, if you have some extra money, I have a discount code I'll put in the show notes. And it's just really interesting if you like learning out about these things and hopefully fairly reassuring for women who have been on this journey for a while. But I also want to add the caveat. I think Sally Fallon is a little bit disparaging about moms and breast milk and not having the perfect diet. And I just want to say that like almost across the board, your breast milk is still going to be better for your baby than anything else. So I want to give that disclaimer, like even if everything was low on your lactation lab test, like it's still better for your baby. I wouldn't want that alone to scare somebody away from breastfeeding or feel like they're not getting their baby enough of x y or z especially because the form of the nutrients in your milk they're at the exact form the absorption (laughs) is going to be so good that it just makes you i feel like there's no way you know unless someone has like a crazy long health history and is like super depleted and can't but that person probably wouldn't even be able to produce milk in the first place yeah um so yeah i totally agree with that and i mean i only did it because i was curious i'm also donating milk to another baby. And so Mm. I was like, am I like totally depleting myself here? You know, I was a little nervous, but my milk still looked good. So I it's the, the fat content was like off the charts. It was so funny. (laughs) Um, and the calories and I'm like, I, and I hadn't seen that on pre I'd seen higher fat on some of my clients. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I wonder if this is, and I know like, if you're, you know, it's supposed to be higher 
and mm-hmm. fat and it's supposed to be like really nourishing that way but I just like laughed because I was my daughter's like already like 24 pounds and she's only yeah. seven months but <laughs> I was awesome. like oh, I was like well that's why but <laughs> of course it is yeah <laughs> just but my vitamin a was really good you yeah. know the fat soluble vitamins and stuff yeah. so mm-hmm. it's interesting and even some of the lower levels I like when I reached out they were like it's very like it's not, you're not going to see higher levels of those nutrients in breast mm-hmm. milk. And I'm like, then you should change the ranges because yeah, because someone's going to see that and be like, yeah. oh, no, I don't have like, like what well, is normal levels. anyway. Yeah. Cause don't they, I did talk to them a little bit and I think they said that essentially their quote unquote normal range is, is really just the sampling average, right? It's not yeah. actually a quote unquote ideal range. Exactly. Which so is important. <laughs> this is why it's like, just be mindful with lab testing. They're only going to get you so far. Mm-hmm. And I think they can be so helpful, but it's just like, if it's not going to change what you're currently doing, like for me, I was like, if I was super depleted across the board and my hair test is also depleted, like I wasn't, thank God, but then I would have probably been like, Hey, I can't keep donating milk because this is not good for yeah, me or my exactly. daughter. But mm-hmm. like outside of that, I probably wouldn't have tested. Yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said, obviously I've breastfed two kids completely successfully without testing, but this, <laughs> this time I finally had the opportunity to do it. And, um, I was just curious. So I will recommend it to like NICU moms who are really fighting against the supplement. Most NICU babies get home with like, they have to take two bottles a day of this higher calorie. It's higher calorie, higher protein, higher in phosphorus and a few other things, which are important, right? For premature babies, but moms can get this testing done and show the neonatologist, look, my milk is already higher in calories. It's already higher in protein. It's already higher in these things. I'm not going to do the supplement, you know? Yeah. It's just really nice to have that kind of information. And I've had one or two clients over the years who are um, having babies with just inexplicable, um, I hate the term failure to thrive, but they're not gaining weight despite the fact that they are transferring milk, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, of course, very first thing I'm referring them to an endocrinologist, but on mom's end, I often do recommend testing as well because you know, pediatricians just, oh, you're making skim milk. You're doing this, you're doing that. And it's like, let's not say that unless we know that that's actually the case. 100%. Totally agree. And even testing my fat and my milk was higher too. And I swear, no matter how long my milk sits in the fridge, it does not separate that much. So I was not expecting the fat to be that high. And I was like, oh, well, I feel a little bit better. I mean, my babies are fine, but I never had this mythical fat layer. Yeah. It's there. It's just emulsified. Yeah. That's such a good point. So I'm totally curious if you don't mind sharing how um, old was she when you tested and how many calories per ounce was your milk? If that's not weird to ask. Totally not weird. I can like pull up the report now, but so she, I tested, so she was like just under seven months and it says 91 calories per deciliter. Okay. So 26.9 calories oh, good. per ounce. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's great. Cause like formula is 20 calories per ounce and that's kind yeah. of the standard that we go with. So it was, um, it was, it's yeah. cool to find out, but you know, like a lot of women ask, like, especially with hair testing or like, I'll get this question often online of what lab test should I do postpartum? And I'm mm-hmm. like, ma'am, we should only be testing things postpartum if you absolutely have to. I just mm-hmm. feel like 
I going through it myself now, I mean, I didn't do any lab testing. I did a hair test. That's very easy. You don't have to leave the house. You just cut a hair sample like and Mm -hmm. send it in. So I did that like four months, but I just got blood work done this week Mm -hmm. and she's seven months. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I just was like, I don't, unless it's going to change what you're doing. I don't think you should do it. I did want to see like, how is my thyroid look, you know, post, because I have a very long history with thyroid health. I have felt good, but I have had a lot of stress. So I'm like, I just want to be like ahead of anything if I can. Um, and I do think that like when I started going back to work, I had like some mental health struggles. I think it was just because I wasn't ready. Um, Oh yeah. It's a big transition. Yeah. Like I just wasn't ready. And I was like, why is this so hard? You know, like, I feel like people don't talk about this. It was so, so hard. I'm like just hiring a nanny now because I have no mm. other choice um, because I can't get enough work done during mm-hmm. her naps. And I don't, I can't work all like late at night anymore. It's just not healthy, but like all those things, I'm like, I should really like look at my thyroid health. And I did want to take a look at like copper and iron balance. Cause I got my cycle back when she was almost six months old. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, you know, I just, for me, I'm like, I, it's also what I do for a living though. If yes. I were, if I were my client, I would say like, yeah, test thyroid, do a hair test and like, let that be it. Mm-hmm. Um, if a, like, I don't necessarily think everyone has to test their hormones postpartum, but if someone has thyroid health concerns, I definitely think that blood work is helpful. Your hair test can also give you a lot of insights into thyroid health. And then if there's any postpartum, postpartum mental health stuff, I think hair tests and thyroid and then copper, if you want to do copper blood work. Um, but otherwise it's like, what are your main concerns? You know, and if, if testing isn't, if you don't even have the capacity to change anything that you're currently doing, then the test result might only add stress and not help. Yeah. And I think just, I want to reiterate that point because we, <laughs> okay. Two New moms aren't sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> just want to reiterate that because, um, I did have a point where we were eliminating a lot of foods and trying to identify allergens. And I was like, I mean, I know I'm depleted. I don't need a test to tell me that right now. The baby's waking up every hour and, and the, the fix it part of my brain wanted to like, well, I'll just solve all my problems. I'll get tested. And then just And then thankfully, somewhere in the back of my right mind, I was like, but you can't, what are you going to do right now? Like you are doing absolutely everything you can do right now. Like testing isn't going to change anything. And so I waited until I felt like I had a little bit of margin. Yeah. I think that's smart. Yeah. Especially Um, because you were dealing with like OCD anxiety. It's like, what is that going (laughs) to like, let's not just pile on. Yeah. Just more things to feel bad about myself about, right? Like not... Yeah. And, and it is interesting what people fixate on in postpartum. I feel like most of us, not in an OCD way, but just most of us as new moms, there's something that we're fixating on, whether it's sleep or breastfeeding or baby's weight gain or your own weight loss or um, your diet or whatever. Like it's such a season of feeling out of control that it's so tempting to just want to pick one thing to control. So I do get a lot of questions about like, what do I need to test for this and that and the other? And I think it is like looking at what is actually going on, like what is actually going on with you or your baby. Yeah. What can you introduce any stress reduction techniques? Can you ask for more help? Are you eating frequently enough? Are you eating enough calories? Like then you can maybe step into something. So, and then of course, finances are an issue too. So, um, so we kind of talked, we talked about testing milk. So my next question was kind of asking 
if you would recommend testing mom before testing their milk and I think it sounds like yes yeah yeah for sure um can you really briefly explain the difference between an HTMA and like a full Monty iron panel? Yeah. So hair HTMA is just hair tissue mineral analysis. And it's when you cut like a very tiny sample of hair, super close to your scalp. And that is showing you the last three months of time for your mineral status. And the main, a lot of people will think like, well, what, why can't I just get blood work done? Um, you can, and I think blood work is still very valuable, but hair testing shows us what's going on inside the cell. And because of this, like it's not just showing you like if something's high or low, it's showing you like how you're using a mineral and your stress response. And that's what like, I think is the best part of hair mineral analysis is you get to see your unique response to stress. And that's going to give you so much more information than just like, if you need more of a nutrient. Right. Um, and then you're also going to get insights into like, how's your thyroid functioning? There's a thyroid ratio on there and certain markers that can give you lots of insight into how you're using thyroid hormone. Blood work tells you how much you're making hair tests, like how you're using it. Um, and then same thing with like adrenals, like, are you actively stressed? Are you really depleted? Sometimes our minerals look better than we might have thought, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and that's always nice. And that to me, like what that would tell me is that you're probably, your body's probably resilient to stress, which is great. That's what we want, right? That's what the ultimate mm -hmm. goal of health is. And then with a full Monty iron panel, it's like a blood panel that is going to have, uh, iron markers. So like your typical iron panel, that's got like serum iron ferritin, it's going to have your TIBC, like total iron binding capacity, iron saturation. And, but it's also going to have other markers that impact iron that you wouldn't usually get with an iron panel. Like vitamin A we talked about is so important for using copper. There's going to be copper on there and looking at those two numbers and plus your ceruloplasmin, that's going to show you, Hey, are you like making enough bioavailable copper to even use that iron in the first place? Um, and then you can also look at zinc, magnesium, RBC, and then vitamin D. So I think they complement each other very well. I love seeing these two panels together. That's what I did for my postpartum blood work. Um, but mainly like hair testing is like overall health concerns, hormone concerns, gut, thyroid, copper excess, that kind of stuff. And then the full Monty is more like you, cause like you can see iron on a hair test, but I would never say like the iron levels on your hair test are your, like the perfect view of iron. You need more information and that's where the full Monty comes into play. So if someone thinks they have iron deficiency or the other end of the spectrum, iron overload, then looking at that is going to be the most helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I think particularly if you bled too much in delivery or, yeah. or if your cycle starts again really soon, things like that, um, that is, that is good to know. And I think one thing that really struck me when I first learned it is that the body doesn't really know the difference between physical and emotional stress. I mean, we've talked about stress so many times and I think that, um, it's so easy to be like, well, I'm not stressed. Well, my grasp on the HTMA is still very slippery because it is so different from, blood tests, which yeah. I'm used to. Um, but I do love that it kind of talks about how you're using these things and it gives a longer term picture than just like today at 8am is I know that's like the hardest thing with blood work is I'm like, it is helpful. I really do think mm -hmm. it is, but I'm sometimes people get so upset when they see their results. And I'm like, this is one measurement in time. It's mm -hmm. just like, I'm like, if it's super concerning to you, I would get it redone at a different day different time and just see if it, you know, if it's the same, because it can just vary so much. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and to someone that says they're not stressed, that is postpartum, <laughs> I would say yeah. you might, 
you might be addicted to cortisol and look, I've mm-hmm. been there. I was mm-hmm. definitely addicted to cortisol, mm-hmm. um, that stress hormone, you know, like, and I, or, I mean, I think about like, I just was not in tune with my body. I didn't mm-hmm. know my needs. And so I think it's, I mean, we're all going to have ups and downs and stressors throughout the day. Maybe you handle stress really well, yeah. but I would say for most people that may not be the case. Yeah. And that's good to hear because we all think that everybody else is handling this a whole lot better than we are. Are there other tests you recommend or are those kind of the two biggest ones for just starting out? I think those are great. If someone has thyroid concerns, Mm -hmm. like energy fatigue, like if it's super extreme, then I would, I would definitely consider getting like your TSH free T3 and free T4 done. TSH Mm -hmm. is just not enough information Mm -hmm. and that can be totally normal, but then like your T3 and T4 aren't great. So looking at that is great. And then progesterone, like if so, that's the other thing, if someone is struggling with like postpartum depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. and they are cycling again, then I would definitely get progesterone tested. And I like to do that. You could do a blood test like five to seven days after you ovulate. And then Mm -hmm. that's going to give you great insights into like, is that, are you making enough? Could that be a Mm -hmm. possible contributor for you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. Is it a good idea to get thyroid antibodies tested as well? If you've never had them and Mm -hmm. say, say you get you, your lab work comes back and you're super hypo or hyperthyroid, then I would definitely get your antibodies tested because one of the main times where women are going to get an autoimmune disease, like Mm -hmm. Hashimoto's or Graves is going to be either during pregnancy or postpartum because of the hormonal shift. So if you haven't Mm -hmm. had them done, I would consider if your labs are off. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Definitely. Postpartum is a right time for autoimmune stuff to show up, which adds to the fun. (laughs) Um, If you have a client with noted deficiencies, how do you determine if food or supplements would be the next step? So I think it depends on the deficiency, Um, the deficiency. And then also like what someone will eat, (laughs) is a big part of that. And like, what's Mm -hmm. realistic for them to get from food. And then if that nutrient, if you can even get a therapeutic dose just from food, because some nutrients you can't, like I think of like iodine, it is Mm -hmm. very hard to fix an iodine deficiency through food, unless you're eating like a ton of raw seafood and seaweed, which most people Mm -hmm. are not doing. Um, so I would say like iodine supplementation is probably going to be needed if someone has like an iron deficiency and it's like true iron deficiency, there's no like copper and vitamin A are in a good place. Like they really just need more iron. Um, and they don't eat beef or like really iron rich foods. Then it's like, okay, then you might, or maybe they are, and it's not hitting the mark for them. Then maybe they add in like a whole food iron supplement. Like I love blood vitality from Mm -hmm. ancestral supplements. Um, that would be like my first go-to before going to like synthetic Mm -hmm. and then like zinc, very similar. If if someone isn't getting enough beef and like oysters in their diet, then it's like, maybe they need to, or they don't want to eat oysters. (laughs) Then maybe Mm -hmm. they do an oyster supplement. Um, if, if it's like, very far gone. And they're both magnesium and zinc deficient because we get zinc deficient from being magnesium deficient. Hmm. So, and also just not getting enough in our diet, or if someone goes in like supplements with copper and doesn't know what they're doing, then you mm-hmm. can definitely create that zinc deficiency. Then maybe you need like a synthetic zinc, but I really try to do like that food first. So it's kind of like, what are they willing to eat? What can they get? Can they get a therapeutic dose from food? Um, and then how are their levels changing? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's great. How often do you recommend retesting? 
for hair tests, I would say four months because it shows you the last three. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes with clients, I have them wait longer. Like if someone has very depleted minerals, I'm like, please do like give your body time. You know, yeah. it takes time, especially if they're in a stressful season. Blood work, I would say if you are like, it depends on like how extreme it is. Like if someone's thyroid mm-hmm. is very off and they're actively doing iodine or maybe they start taking medication, then you would want to retest in like six weeks, um, okay. maybe four, depending on what their doctor recommends. But mm-hmm. usually four to six weeks is what you're going to see. And then with iron, I would give yourself probably at least like four to six weeks as well, just to see like, is it making a dent for you? But Mm -hmm. sometimes your doctor will want to retest you sooner. And that's fine when you're doing that whole food approach. And even if it's like whole food supplementation with iron and vitamin C too for iron too. Um, But then I would say at least four weeks, because you want to see a significant difference Mm -hmm. and not right after your period. (laughs) Yeah. So true. So what are your favorite postpartum foods? So I, it's like, nothing is really different from uh, Mm. what you eat, what I usually recommend, but there are Mm. certain foods that I'm like, if you can eat these, they're going to give you the most bang for your buck. Like I think of like animal proteins in general, especially Mm -hmm. beef, eggs, salmon and dairy, like those are going to cover so many vitamins and minerals. Like you're going to be getting vitamins A, D, you're going to get B12, you're going to get calcium, you're going to get zinc, copper, all these important things. So those are like the proteins I really, really like. Um, and then trying to get like potatoes in squash fruit. Those are going to be great sources of potassium, but also, I mean, they have other nutrients, like they're going to have B6 in them. Um, they're going to have some magnesium. So they're ones that I just think are good in general. And then like calcium is huge. So obviously dairy, but then like cooked leafy greens, bone broth, those are like super healing, great options. Um, and you could add stuff to bone broth to make it even more nutrient dense. Like I always add leafy greens and I just save Mm -hmm. stuff like like if I'm like chopping up veggies and like the ends and stuff, I just put it in a, in a bag in the freezer and then I throw that in when I make the bone broth. I'm yeah. not like buying separate things for it. Um, yeah, it's the best and, bone broth. Pack. Yeah, and it's yeah. like so easy. Beans are another one. I re- I love those during pregnancy too because they have a lot of folate, but mm-hmm. they're also great postpartum because you do need that folate. You need like B6. You're going to get that from things like chickpeas. Um And then I really like citrus fruit if you can tolerate it. I know some people don't always do great with that. If they have like Mm -hmm. histamine issues, uh, that's going to give you a ton of vitamin C, adrenal cocktails, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. And I can send you a blog I have on that if you want. Yeah, perfect. But um, those are probably like the biggest ones. And just like food that you enjoy, I think is so important Mm -hmm. because it's easy to feel like, oh, I need to eat like X, Y, and Z, but it's like, you should enjoy your food. That's usually like you know, you might be doing other things while you're eating. Sometimes it's hard to avoid doing that when you, especially when you mm-hmm. have a new baby. Um, but it's like, you don't like bring stress to your food, like make foods that you enjoy, try to eat mostly whole foods, get a mix. Like, don't be afraid of beans. If you digest them well, I feel like people like mm-hmm. they're afraid of like phytic acid and all that stuff. I'm like, just do the best you can. If you can soak them, do it. If mm-hmm. not pressure cook them, you know, mm-hmm. like it doesn't have to be perfect, but those are ones that I would say, like, if you can pr- try to prioritize that in pregnancy, then you can just kind of keep going. Yeah. Keep yeah. Ideally. Do you soak your beans with like seaweed or, I mean, do you cook them with seaweed in it too? Have I you heard don't that? No. Okay. I don't even know where I learned that hack like 10 years ago. Um, 
it's like the kombu seaweed, K-O-M-B-U, and you you cook the beans with it. And um, I think it helps with digestibility. I'm going to have to go look at that now. Um, I know. I'm like, does it up the iodine content? It, oh, I'm what? sure it ups the iodine too. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to go look at that again. But this is a great list. And it made me think of what people talk about vitamin P for pleasure, right? Like, I think so many of us grew up in this diet mentality of like emotional eating is a bad thing. And it's like, really, I mean, I'm sitting here eating the last piece of my kid's first birthday cake because it makes me happy. And yeah. that's not a bad thing, you know? Science like literally shows that we absorb more nutrients from foods that we like. So. Yeah, I always forget that. I love that. Yeah. Do you have postpartum cravings? Have you had any postpartum cravings? Um, I just, I mean, I've, I really like eggs, but I would say like I have eaten them at least once a day, like postpartum, like those mm-hmm. were a big one. And like, I ate so much Greek yogurt right after mm-hmm. I had her. Um, and I do like Greek yogurt, but it was like, I had never eaten it like so much every single day. Mm-hmm. Like those were like two big ones. And I, and it's funny. Cause then I did my hair test and my calcium was low and I was like, mm-hmm. hmm, there's a lot of calcium in Greek yogurt. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, those were like the biggest, and I actually did crave beef liver, which, oh yeah. Organ meats. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. If you can get organ meats in, I just, I like have to hide them in food. Cause I don't like beef liver, but mm-hmm. I mean, beef liver is going to give you vitamin a copper zinc it has some selenium has a ton of b12 iron um so that's like a great one and then beef kidneys another good one if someone's trying to up their selenium Mm -hmm. or if they have histamine issues it's really helpful but i have to like make i make them into like a puree and then i mix it into beef and i hide it in like chili and meatloaf and anything that has like a delicious sauce because then i won't taste it um (laughs) but i did crave that for the, and I don't like beef liver and I like, okay. I didn't want to just straight eat it, but I was like, I need to start adding this to all my food again, because I was actually like craving it. Yeah. I beef liver has been a godsend for me because I have had to cut eggs out because of my baby's allergies. Yeah. And it's like liver really has everything that eggs has have in it. Like, yeah. I can't speak English today. <laughs> <laughs> liver has everything eggs have. So how do you feel about the powdered version of like beef liver, beef, kidney, are those still helpful? Yeah. I think the desiccated version is totally fine. It's also like, what do you have access to? Like, I don't have great beef liver locally. I get it online. Um, and from white oak pastures and like beef kidney, like I don't have a source yeah. for that, you know, like, I don't yeah. know how you would get that. So, um, I think it just kind of, and like what you're going to do, like when I first started doing liver, I would like take frozen shots of it and I hated it. So I, I wouldn't remember to do it all the time because I didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I did desiccate liver for so long and some days I don't have beef liver. And so like, I'll take the supplement, you know? So it's kind of like, what are you going to do consistently? Um, and what's going to make it easier for you? Some people are also like, I'm not going to make a liver pate to mix into my food. It's just, I'm barely food prepping as it is. Yeah, exactly. um, So it's just making it real for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's great to know. Um, I, people talk about pregnancy cravings all the time and I think postpartum cravings are fascinating because I always crave chocolate cake at like the three month growth spurt and the six month growth spurt, something about those. It took me until like my second kid to realize this was a pattern. That's so (laughs) funny. And I'm sure it was, you know, magnesium calories I mean maybe vitamin a from like the butter Popper. yeah I mean um it was just like a very persistent craving uh so I think it's fascinating to ask that question um 
We had some listener questions. We can kind of dive into those. And uh, I just want to offer the disclaimer that this is not medical advice, that we're not your medical providers, and this is just for informational purposes only. So the first question, um, I know a lot of these you're going to point to tons of resources that you have too. So some of these might be brief answers. But the first question is, what causes ovulation pain? Yeah, so there's going to be five like main categories I would look at for this. Um, and a lot of the, in ovulation pain, it could be like actual like pain in your ovaries. It could, I look at headaches and migraines also qualify those as ovulation mm-hmm. pain. Um, mm-hmm. but things like poor liver function, if you are not detoxing estrogen, well, of course, it, during that time, we have a huge surge in estrogen. So that if you're not detoxifying that, well, if your liver is just congested in general, or maybe you're not moving bile well because we get rid of estrogen in our bile, then that could definitely be a big contributor. Nutrient deficiencies is also a big one. We need B vitamins, magnesium, vitamin C, amino acids, vitamin E. So many things affect our liver's function. And so if we don't have adequate levels of those, then we can have issues with liver function, but also our blood sugar. So like, that's another really big one. Um, if we're going to have lots of blood sugar imbalances, you may experience issues with insulin. Like you're having a harder time getting that glucose inside your cells that creates more, you release more insulin, then you're definitely going to have more inflammation. And really the inflammation is a huge driver of that ovulation pain. Uh, and then excess stress, that stress hormone cortisol that we mentioned before, as cortisol goes up, estrogen's going to go up. So it can just exacerbate your hormone imbalances during that time. Uh, and then digestion. So that's like a big one. If you are not breaking down and absorbing nutrients, well, or maybe you're having like large food particles in your gut. So you're getting imbalances in gut bacteria. That's going to trickle down. It's going to impact how well you're eliminating the nutrients that you're getting, how inflamed your body is, and then your immune system function. And all those things can come back to your liver estrogen levels. So a lot of it's that imbalance in estrogen, but I think inflammation is like a huge play as well. And I have a blog post with a bunch of tips uh, that goes into that more that I can send you. Perfect. Yeah. And literally just today on Instagram, this is December 14th when we're recording. Do you follow Muscles and Motherhood? Yeah. Uh, she just posted a video of ovulation. Yeah. It was so funny. Um, so I'm like, oh, well, that might hurt a little bit sometimes <laughs> when you look at it up close. Um, so thank you. That that was a very thorough answer. The next question was, is it possible to have low estrogen postpartum? And therefore, she put vaginal tightness. I think vaginal dryness would also fall into this category. Yeah. Like when I see vaginal tightness, I was like, probably pelvic floor yeah. is like, a, I mean, and I'm not a pelvic floor PT, but I've, I've like worked with a lot of them and I have a lot of clients that struggle with this, like that, like low estrogen. Yes. That can make lead to more tightness and dysfunction in general in your pelvic floor. But I'd also, I mean, you can't ignore like being pregnant for nine months. That puts a lot in your mm-hmm. pelvic floor, that weight. Uh, and then also whether you had vaginal birth or a C-section, I mean, I've actually, I was talking to one of my friends and her pelvic floor PT was like, yeah, because she had a C-section and she was saying how she ha- she's had so many pelvic floor issues. And I was like, mm-hmm. man, have you? Because you had a C-section. I'm like shocked. And she's like, it's actually worse often mm-hmm. if you have a C-section because you're not getting that like elongation and stretching and like moving that baby through. Um, and then obviously like the, like your abdominal muscles are going to play a huge role in that. Typically, mm-hmm. so like your abdominal muscles, they impact your low back and your glutes. And then that impacts your pelvic floor. And I'm like, man, I never would have thought that. So, I mean, yes, 
the low estrogen because all your hormones are going to be low if you don't have a cycle. Mm -hmm. But I would also like really look into working with a pelvic floor PT if you can, because whether you had vaginal or C-section, there's probably something else at play. Yeah. I love that answer. I would agree. And I think we both also come back to like, so what are you going to do about it? So you might have low estrogen, but that doesn't mean that we need your midwife or OB to prescribe estrogen gel because that's often the answer. They're like, oh, intercourse is painful. So here's this estrogen or birth control. Yeah. With that, (laughs) that's definitely not going to help painful intercourse. So, um, yeah. So yeah, the, it's like, okay, yeah, it might be low estrogen, but there are other things to do. Um, so I love that. Does breastfeeding while pregnant deplete the minerals for the growing baby in utero? So I think this is going to depend on a couple of things. How old is the baby that you're feeding? Right. Mm. Is the baby getting all of its nutrition from you? Because then I could see that's like a lot. I mean, especially cause it's like, that would mean that your, your pregnancies are probably pretty close together. So your mom's probably more depleted and then baby's getting all their nutrition from you. So I, I don't think it's impossible, but I would say it's just puts a really big responsibility on mom to eat enough and really prioritize nutrient dense foods and definitely would most likely have to supplement on top of that. Um, but if the baby's older, and they're not getting, if they're, you know, they're eating a good amount of food, they're not getting as much of their nutrition from you. Then I don't, I mean, it's like, I think of like some people, like their babies only nurse like two or three times a day. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's going to deplete you. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the best way to know I, if this is a case where I would say testing would definitely be helpful, mm-hmm. especially if the baby is younger and to just, you know, keep talk with your doctor, keep an eye on your thyroid. If, I, not all doctors test thyroid during pregnancy. It drives me absolutely hmm. insane. Yeah. Um, it's so important. Even if it, even if it's just TSH, it's really yeah. important to know that in the first trimester. It's so it depends on what state you're in. Some States they mm. do hmm. like New York, they're so thorough. And I'm like, that's great. Uh, most States they're not, but, um, yeah. So I would say like, keep an eye on that. If you can do hair mineral testing to get a look, if not, like at least get a blood panel of those like vitamins and minerals just to like, keep an eye, but I don't think it necessarily has to deplete you. It just depends on like how much you're nursing. And then like, is it stressing you out, you know, yeah. or, or do you really enjoy it? Mm-hmm. I, I just feel like that's at play too. Cause you're going to use up more minerals that way. Yeah. That is a great question. Um, a great answer to that question. And we talk a little bit more about this in my podcast interview on your podcast, yeah. which I'll link to it. Yeah, so much depends on the age of the nursing baby. But I think in general, the, your, the way your body is going to prioritize very much in general is that it's going to prioritize the baby in utero. Yeah. And then it's going to prioritize the baby that you're nursing. And then it's going to prioritize you. So yeah. kind of makes me want to cry saying that. So yeah, you, <laughs> you've got to be, you've got to be careful, but absolutely it can be done. People do it all the time. So um, an oversupply mom asked if there are minerals that affect prolactin levels. There aren't necessarily minerals that directly affect prolactin. Prolactin can affect calcium. In some studies, we've seen like hypercalcemia, high or low calcium from too much prolactin. But I would look more at like uh, someone typically, if they have like a really long restrictive or under eating 
dieting history or over-exercising that can lead to really high prolactin levels, mm. um, high stress, like high, the more stress hormones you have, that can definitely drive those up and hypothyroidism. Like those are huge. So mm-hmm. I would really look at those more. I mean, obviously like there's many minerals like iodine, potassium, calcium, all those things are in magnesium. They're going to affect your thyroid, but I wouldn't say like they're directly going to like, this is going to cause this. Um, and then just looking like, does this person have a history of PCOS? Like that's a really big one. Um, and then medications, I don't know this person, but like, like blood pressure meds, reflux meds can affect it. Antidepressants can affect prolactin. So Mm -hmm. just Mm -hmm. try to like look at like the whole picture for yourself, but I wouldn't necessarily focus on minerals, but I think looking at, I would, my first thing, if she were my client would be like thyroid for sure. Okay. Yeah. That's great to know. Yeah. Um, oftentimes we talk about hypothyroid and PCOS. People think that it's going to cause low supply and it really can also cause oversupply, which is a yeah. different problem. So this one was a very specific question. The stubborn potassium not rising from food sources. She mentioned eating 4,000 milligrams a day. Um, she says potassium is still one and sodium is seven. I honestly don't know what test that is it's from. Her test. You probably do. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's definitely her test. Um, okay. and so she said she's eating 4,000 milligrams every day for a year from food, which I think the food emphasis is important because I mm-hmm. sometimes supplements just do not move the needle for people. Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't absorb them as well, but mm-hmm. I would first, I know it is so nitpicky, but technically it's 4,700 milligrams that you need to eat to fix oh. a deficiency. <laughs> okay. Now I don't, I know nothing about this person. I only have yeah. two numbers on their hair test. <laughs> that is it. And I, and how much the potassium they've eaten every day for a year. Um, so the things I would think is like you probably one, you know, you need more because you're testing on yourself and you mm-hmm. ate this much. It didn't increase. One is very low for potassium. Mm-hmm. That is an extreme depletion. Um, so I think getting more, you might need to add some supplementation on top of that, like potassium bicarbonate. A lot of people usually do well with. Um, so that's something you can consider talk with your doctor. I don't know you. Um, but that's a big one. Oh, my husband's outside with my daughter. She's probably not, <laughs> not feeling it. Um, although he's her favorite now. I'm like, so oh no. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, no, it's, it's sweet, but yeah, I would think that I also think like certain things like licorice that can deplete potassium. So hmm. like check your supplements. Um, you never know, maybe it's in like a tincture that you're taking and you're not sure. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then thyroid health and stress. So hypothyroid, there's tons of research that shows us yes, potassium is important for using thyroid hormone, but if when we're hypothyroid, that can actually impact how we absorb sodium and potassium mm-hmm. and that how the sodium potassium pump works. So I just think it takes so much longer for like, this person's probably a slow one metabolic type or a fast four, I'm guessing. So it takes way longer for slow metabolic types to increase that. If mm-hmm. they're a fast four, then you want to address stress hormones and stress in general, because that's going to, she might just be like using that potassium up. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the big things that I would look at. And then just making sure they're not taking anything that could deplete potassium mm-hmm. um, and how you're living. I mean, you can make all the changes that you want with your food and your supplements, but if this person is locked in to a stressed out state, maybe they don't know it or they're not like really connected to that yet, then your minerals are going to have a hard time shifting. Yeah, that I feel like I have seen that in myself in different seasons. Is potassium bicarb cream of tartar? Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. You can get just like a bag one to just be careful with that. Cause it can be a diuretic for some people. And then that would be like doing the opposite <laughs> of what we want to do. Mm. Okay. So I knew it could cause loose bowel movements, but it can cause like diuresis too. Uh, just like, cause it can lead to loose BMs. And of course you're, you're going to lose that fluid more. Yeah. 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 Definitely go slow on that. So, but if you're struggling with postpartum comp, uh, constipation, yeah. that's not, it's not the worst. Any bicarbonate yeah. is great for that. Mm, yeah. All right. This is the last listener question. You kind of touched on it. Can I take iron if my full Monty looks good otherwise, but iron and ferritin are still very low. So the nitpicky part comes out of me again, where I'm like, what mm-hmm. does looks good mean? Uh, Cause there are, there are like ranges, just like any lab test, the full Monty mm-hmm. still uses regular ranges. But if you go onto the root cause protocol website, mm-hmm. they have all the optimal ranges on, or if you're inside my master minerals course, I have been there. Look at what the optimal ranges are. Cause I'd just be very curious if iron and ferritin are both low, if everything else is truly optimal. Um, because yes, you might really need to add iron back in, but you may also need to support like vitamin A or maybe like copper, Mm -hmm. um, or maybe looking at like thyroid and adrenals, cause that can make your copper, that ceruloplasmin, that bioavailable form that we actually use to move iron around that can make, um, that look much lower. So I would look at those. And then I also wonder what this person's iron saturation is. That's like one of the biggest ones for me. If I'm going to have someone supplement with mm-hmm. iron as I want to know what is your iron saturation? Obviously I don't look at any one marker bite, but that is one where when it's below 20, I'm like, we really probably, especially if it's below like 15 or even like 10, I'm like, we need to like figure out what's going on here. Um, is this person the, the ferritin or the iron? No, saturation? the iron saturation. Okay. Because if you look at like there, I have a case that I was going through with one of my friends and she has like her iron saturation was 42, but her ferritin was seven and her doctor was trying to give her iron, but 42% is very high. So mm-hmm. I was like, please, you know, you have to do what you think is best, but I'm like going based off just that ferritin is just not a good way mm-hmm. to look at the whole picture. Um, and she hadn't had a period in a while. I'm like, what are mm-hmm. we doing here? Mm-hmm. So I think it's just taking into account, like, are you having really heavy periods? Do you have a lot of blood loss. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have lots of fatigue and stuff that goes along with this? Cause sometimes we just need to work on optimizing those other things in order to get that iron in a good place. Or have you worked on food first? Are you eating beef mm-hmm. liver or taking it? Um, or do you eat beef? you know, what does that look like for you? Can you get more iron from food? And if not, then I would say like that blood vitality is a great option. I think there's like 15 milligrams of iron. Yeah. I, it's actually 24 milligrams. Oh, 24. Okay. Because, and it's a high, it's like six cups. I mean, it's like six, it's a big dose, but, um, cause I, had like an atypical hemorrhage and I needed a little something. Yeah. <laughs> and I took that and I really liked it. There's also a supplement that I've since learned about called Simply Heme that's just beef spleen. Oh yeah, um, that's super high in iron. Yeah. And I think like one capsule is like 20 milligrams of iron. Yeah. So yeah, there are ways to do it um with even within supplementation that are maybe like a more whole food approach to try first. And I'm glad you mentioned that you can also, there are times to add it in additionally, but, um, I never love supplementing anything like totally blindly. So yeah, definitely want to know. I mean, a food source, I feel like it's hard as long as you're not overdoing it, even like the supplements, 
it, when we start to get the, the synthetic iron, I just feel like people don't absorb it as well. I mean, how mm-hmm. many times someone taken an iron supplement and not seen it increase their levels? Oh, that you know? was me like five years ago. I'm like, I'm taking iron every day and it's in my prenatal and I'm still anemic and my ferritin is low and my, yeah, non-heme iron, you have to take like on an empty stomach with vitamin C. And so can you, can you tell everybody, we've talked a lot about like interpreting things. And I have on my Instagram highlights and my postpartum nutrition highlight, um, some providers who will work one-on-one with HTMAs, but you also have a course to enable people to kind of interpret their own results. Could you just give us a little brief rundown of what that entails? Yeah. So it's basically how I used to do my results reviews where um, I break down each part of the test. So it tells you like, what does metabolic type mean? What is, what, what is like your main minerals mean? Um, your micro minerals, and then looking at like heavy metals, the ratios, it just kind of walks you through what do your test results mean? And there's multiple things for different imbalances, right? So I go through them all and then it's like, okay, well, which one applies to me? And it's, I think it's pretty clear, you know, if you've never, if you have high calcium, but you're like, I don't take vitamin D, then like, that's not something you have to worry about. Um, or if like low copper, but you don't take zinc, you know, I wouldn't necessarily stress about that. So mm-hmm. it kind of walks you through and then it goes through how to build a protocol. And so, the, and I focus on like all like the whole food supplements I've talked about foods, getting in adrenal cocktails way before you start magnesium, all that kind of stuff. Um, I have staple recipe guide in there. And, uh, then, I mean, now I've added like so much content, but that's like what you have mm-hmm. to go through. Right. Mm-hmm. That's like, and that's not, it's like, five hours. Like it's not that much. And mm-hmm. then what I've created is a lot of people had certain health concerns. So I have a whole section on like thyroid and there's many lessons in there to go through how to understand your thyroid labs, all that stuff. Um, iodine testing, iodine protocol, but then I have like PCOS pregnancy. Um, I've got one on endometriosis, menopause, reflux, histamine. So mm-hmm. like, you don't have to watch those, but they're there. Most people go through everything first. And then if they need them, they go back. I also have case studies. So if you're like, I don't understand my tests, like watch a case study. I think it really helps. And from there, if you need help, like if you want someone to go through your test, uh, my nutritionist, they do do hair test reviews. We do, we open up like 10 oh, spots perfect. a month. Yeah. Okay. So you can, yeah. you can get eyes on your test. And then I do, I don't work one-on-one right now because I'm still figuring out this whole childcare situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but my nutritionist, Erin does, and she's been with me for over a year. She's amazing. So there's options for that too. But the hair, the course, like if it is, if you need an economical way and you want to go back, like my whole thing is I'm like, mm-hmm. order another test in the future. And then yeah. you can compare because it's, it's hard. Like when you work with a practitioner and then you like need to go back and see them, you know, I don't want someone to need me forever. Um, I'm really excited to go through that course with my results that I just got. And because most of us are intelligent people who have been looking for health answers for a while. And even some of the listener questions, it's like, can I do this? Like, should I do that? And I've, I've been there too. And it's like, our provider is actually not in charge of answering those questions. Yeah. The more information we have, the easier it is to make those decisions for ourselves. So all that being said, of course, pregnancy and postpartum are very unique seasons in which yeah. we do need extra help. And sometimes we just need somebody to just tell us what to do Yeah, until we're functioning a little bit better. So <laughs> what encouragement do you have for the mom listening who maybe didn't eat the way she wanted to during pregnancy or um, early postpartum? And now she's just 
trying to make sure that she and her baby are nourished as well as they can be. I think the biggest thing to remember with this is that I mean, there's so how you ate your whole life is going to impact your pregnancy. Mm -hmm. I see this so often where like sometimes women will experience like nausea in that first trimester, or maybe they have food aversions their whole pregnancy Mm -hmm. and it can be really discouraging, but I'm like, okay, but how did you eat for years leading up to this? You know, even if someone didn't, wasn't necessarily like preparing to conceive, you know, just supporting your health in general, all of those things that's going to help you during that time. Uh, and again, like similar to how we get nutrients in our breast milk at our expense, that same thing is happening when you're pregnant. So obviously it's not great for you and your health, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. your baby is prioritized. Our bodies are t- like in so intelligent. I mean, I just would not personally stress about that a ton. Uh, and I even have some clients where they like, can't take any supplements, even mm. like they, sometimes they'll try to mix powders into smoothies, but they can't do it every day. It's like, they can't swallow stuff. It just doesn't work. And I'm, and they're so stressed and I'm like, you gotta let it go. Like your body is telling you it doesn't want it. I know that it's not what mm-hmm. your doctor says. It's not what social media says. It's not what all your books say, but you, at some point we have to like drop in and listen to like what our bodies actually need. Um, and then ultimately you can't, you have to do the best with what you have. And sometimes you go through really stressful seasons and you're not eating the exact way that you want. Maybe you're getting more processed foods in and you're not making everything and you're not getting raw milk. Cause you don't want to make the hour drive, uh, and all that kind of stuff. It's like, it, it's, it's just, I think your stress your enjoyment of life and all those things play such a big role in our health as well. And in our baby's health. I mean, Mm -hmm. I just think about that. Like, it's like, if I just spend time with Eliana, like she's great, you know, (laughs) like everything in the world is good, at least in Mm -hmm. our world, you know? So it's, I just feel like it's easy to want to focus and control and fixate on food, but it's like, what else are you giving your baby? You know, we give them nourishment in so many other ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And I love thinking about Really, when you zoom out, you're absolutely right. Like since puberty, our bodies have been preparing to grow a baby. Um, Every menstrual cycle we have, we're laying down emergency reserves. Every menstrual cycle, we are actually growing more usable breast tissue, functional breast tissue. Like our bodies have been preparing for this and it's not, you're right. It's not like "Mm, for nine months, I didn't eat great you've had 20 or 30 years of um, preparation outside of that. So I like that reminder. So to wrap up here, it is easy to focus on what we're doing wrong or what's hard, what's not going well. So I just want to ask what's a routine or boundary or habit that is working really well for you guys right now? I love this. I was like, oh, it like made me tear up a little bit because you mm-hmm. are. It's like you're so hard on yourself. Is like my biggest fear is not being a good mom. I feel like, and so oh, yeah. jump, it's just. So I was like, you know what? Like, I honestly feel like now that Eliana's seven months, like a lot of things have gone well. But I think back to when, I think like that two or three month mark, sleep was such mm-hmm. a thing. Like she's such a good night sleeper, and she is for the most part now too, minus teething but she wasn't, she wasn't a great napper. Like she always had a nap on me. Mm -hmm. And I remember just being like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to work? How am I going to do anything? Um, and then just her not having a sleep routine. Like I was even now like hiring a, another nanny. Cause I went through the process and then I chickened out. Um, Mm -hmm. they're like, what's her, what's her schedule? And I'm like, 
I don't, she's not on a skip. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Yeah. She's a baby. Like it, she, cause it does change every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had a lot of guilt around that for a long time, but honestly, we just went on like a family vacation with friends. She's the best sleeper of all the baby. I mean, mm-hmm. she's yeah. the best sleeper of all the babies. She's happy. She's healthy. I'm like, I am doing fine. So <laughs> I think our routine of like me just paying attention to her sleep cues. Mm-hmm. And then I do not do an elaborate sleep routine with her. I've been like, do I need to do this? I just don't like we do mm-hmm. is we sing one song for naps and she goes to bed. I read one book before bed, we cuddle and then she goes yeah. to sleep. So like mm-hmm. that, I just think like hearing that like, from someone would have been so helpful before um, of not being like, she, we have this like crazy routines and it's like, she doesn't get a bath every night before bed. She would never go to sleep after a bath. Anyway. She's like, <laughs> yeah. she's like, let's party. <laughs> but that's, that's something that like, I did not, I was like a little, like, am I doing this right for a while? But you know, I feel like pretty good about that now. So sleep is, it's normal for babies to want to <laughs> sleep on you. Uh, and eventually like she slowly grew out of it, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's worked out. Yeah. I love that reminder. My uh, two of my three were, were quote unquote difficult in that process. Well, and it's hard in the thick of it. You're like, everybody else is getting a break at 9am and I'm like, stuck here when I need to be doing something else quote you know need to be doing something else quote unquote it's it's really hard so I'm glad that I feel like seven or eight months is a big game changer with that um and in your own mental health as well I feel like you're you're coming into that nine month shift where you like suddenly just feel like the fog lifts a little bit so yeah. I just, start, it's, she's, I'm starting to just feel like a little bit more ready. Like I definitely have to hire a nanny now. I need help with childcare, but like, mm-hmm. I am not like, I don't cry about it every day. Like I did when she no, was three no. months, you know? So yeah. it's like, I like feel so much more ready and it's like, there's so many shifts happening. So, but yeah, sleep, it's normal. It's, and it, the friend, the friends I have, they say their baby's on a schedule. Like they're not like, I'm just yeah. like, they're, she's like, oh, she only slept for 30 minutes. I'm like, so then you're going to keep her up for four hours till her next nap. Mm-hmm. I just like in my brain, I'm like, make it make sense. But yeah, that's yeah. I just like tuning into yourself and your baby. That's like the best thing that I have done throughout this postpartum season. Yeah. And and then when it, when it starts to pay off, it is so reaffirming yes. that you, you did make the right choice, even though it wasn't a, some sort of textbook plan. So I love that. Well, thank you for talking with me, Amanda. This was a lot of information, but um, I think people are really going to love hearing it because we all want to know that we're doing what we can for our babies and ourselves during this time of life. Yeah. I appreciate you having me. I always love chatting with you. Yeah. Yeah. I will link to your um, at hormone healing RD Instagram, your podcast, are you menstrual? And what is your main website? It's just hormonehealingrd.com. Okay, perfect. Yeah. You have so many resources for people who do want to look more into this. Yeah. So thanks so much, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to Milk and Motherhood today. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to some of the things we talked about. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends or leave a review to help other people find us here. As always, you can find me on Instagram at happy.mama.healthy.baby or on the internet at happymamahealthybaby.co. See you next time.